Welcome to another edition of Packy Chat, episode number 11. I hope people think it's a good one. Just the four of us again getting together via Zoom. Uh, talk about some topics that were suggested by some of our listeners. Uh, everyone that listens and follows us, man, I can't tell you how much we appreciate it. Uh, it's great. Every week our numbers are growing, and that's good news. Thank you. Thank you for spreading the word. Thank you for liking and following us. Uh, and again, if you follow us or listen to us uh, via iTunes, Google Play, or Spotify, give us a like on there too, please. And if you like us on Facebook, please make sure to follow us as well. And don't forget to tell your friends. Uh, keep the suggestions coming. We, All the topics we have pretty much are suggestions based on uh, some ideas that people have sent us uh, via Messenger. So thank you so much for doing that. This week we're talking about training. Some of the questions asked for uh, things that we think are important and essential. I mean, clearly things outside of the AZA behavioral components list. The second question asked that we cover a little bit is, uh, do you have a single trainer or multiple trainers training new behaviors with the pros and cons of both of those? And then lastly, do you think you can train an elephant too many behaviors at once, too many new behaviors? So again, these questions were sent to us uh, by some listeners and thank you so much for that. Again, this is just the four of us talking, getting together, sharing our views, our experience, what we've been through, what's worked for us, what doesn't. We're not asking you to agree with us or uh, drink the Kool-Aid or nothing. We're just kind of sharing our views. If you agree with us, great. If you don't, well, whatever. So with all that being said, uh, I guess let's get to it. Thanks all for listening. What behaviors we feel uh are kind of essential behaviors to train. And I guess it, it was no real clarification if we're talking about, you know, babies or adults or geriatric or what it is. So um, I'm sure most of us would agree that the behavioral components are pretty important, all 26 of them or three of them, whatever that is. I should know that. Um, but off of that list, there's got to be things that I think we all prioritize and maybe even things off that list that, that we prioritize um, especially with babies for us. I know it, it, we go off that list some, but what about you guys? Uh, I think just to start it off, calm, re relaxed behavior. It's not a behavior to train like, you know, stretch or, you know, presenting a foot, but to, to get an animal to be to come over and be calm and relaxed and engaged in the session. I think that's probably the, for me right now, that's the greatest thing in the world <laughs> to be able to train, right? Um, so calm, relaxed behavior um, and attention is step number one for me. <clears throat> step two would be lean-ins, lineups, you know, because that's kind of the foundation what everything's going to base off of that. <clears throat> so when, you know, I'm obviously doing that with a lot of animals right now. So those are kind of the core things that we look for is, is lean-ins, lineups, calm, steady behavior, relaxed behavior, and then, and then that's the foundation, right? And then you can go from there. Yeah, I agree 100% is that um, we want to jump in and start training these components right away without the foundation being laid. And besides 
reinforcing good attitude and focus and willingness to work with you, I think it's important to also make sure you lay a good foundation of whatever training language you're going to use, whether it be, you know, verbal bridging or a whistle or clicker, whether you want to introduce targets, whatever you want to do, whatever tools and language that you have, develop that vocabulary um, before you can really start jumping into any um, specific behaviors alongside with that good attitude. Attitude is, is huge. Reinforcing attitude is such a big thing um, with any age animal, for sure. It's, it's definitely a starting point. Um, and I think probably the hardest behavior to train is to do nothing, to steady, just to kind of stay there and, and uh, with that calm behavior, just not fidget, not move a lot and not do anything. You know, we often get in, in this, uh, I think the elephants get in their mind that they got to, you know, operate on their environment to try to get reinforcement. So they try to do things to, to make the food, the food machine pay. And it's tough for them to understand, Hey, if I do nothing, I still get paid. So those are things that yeah, I agree that that's a definitely a perfect starting point for, for things. And none of that is on the behavioral components. Yeah. And I think a lot of things that, uh, attention span, I think is a big one as well, especially when you're teaching young elephants and or um, elephants that haven't been trained a whole lot before. Right. So <clears throat> just teaching them to, to, to stand somewhere for an amount of time without, like you said, they want to constantly operate on their environment somehow, some way, instead of just coming over, you know, we use the open bar method, which we've, we've talk, talked about a lot, you know, at PEM and things. So for them to just come over and just get reinforcement in an open bar for some of these animals is just, it's like earth shattering, <laughs> you know? So it, I think it's, it, it's really cool to, to be able to do that and teach them those things because, you know, I agree with all of you guys behave attitude is number one. And then everything can branch off of that as it is with humans and, you know, in our life. Right. We talk a lot about um, teaching patience in our barn. Um, and like, like was said before, just stand there doing nothing is doing something and getting paid for that. And also part of that patience too is not only doing anything, but also have a reinforcement strategy where the animal doesn't expect, even though it's open bar, that's not constant. We talk about, we're not dealing cards to the elephants. We're constantly throwing food at them because that's a distraction. And as long as you're throwing food at them nonstop and they're constantly moving, eating all the time, uh, that necessarily might not be, the level of patience as you're looking for. It's okay to stay focused without food being one after another, after another, after another. Um, so that whole foundation, everything we said today, I think um, starting off is once you get that with the elephant, then you set everybody up to succeed uh, to move forward with a bunch of behaviors. Um, that's on the component list. Well, to one of the foundational concepts that I have said a lot uh, to folks over the years is that, you know, when, they, when they're learning the strategy and learning the game, the training game or whatever it is, is that when it comes to reinforcement, you pay them for doing things. You don't pay them to get them to do things. So it's, it's a subtle difference. Whereas, you know, you're trying to make sure that you're um, communicating that they've gotten paid for doing something. So obviously that's the motivation, but you don't pay, to, you don't pay them like proactively to get them to do these things. You, you, re, you reinforce them for doing things. And that's an important distinction to make um 
and, and it's and it's also a, a big thing with a consistency piece between trainers too. make sure that everybody's doing that. You know, it's a subtle difference, but it can make a big difference in uh, what motivates the animals and compliance. And you're talking about kind of like bribing them, right? Like don't yeah. bribe them. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. They're getting paid for performing something. They're not getting paid like, you know, in advance to get them to move around or to get them to do something or to bait them in a certain way or something like that. You ultimately you want to, you know, there's different strategies for shape and behaviors and depending on the situation. But for me is making sure that you're reinforcing them for doing something. You don't do it to get them to do something, which is a, you know, to me, a big distinction, a minor, it's, it's a, it's a subtle thing, but it's a big, for me, it's a big communication piece. Yeah. And, and I'm not sure often how subtle it is. I think, you know, people resort to baiting an animal, get him in a shoot, maybe get him to shift initially, but before you know it, the animal's training them. Well, absolutely. Absolutely. And a lot of the times when this has been discussed in, in, you know, in practice and providing feedback and things like that with training sessions is, these are, these are trained animals who, who know the deal and they almost, I think, you know, start to exploit, you know, the, the sort of prey on the, the, um, the inconsistency or the lack of confidence of the trainer and the, you know, and they're, they're sort of changing the cadence, you know, and a behavior that's solid that they already know, um, they're, they're changing it up a little bit. Yeah, for sure. I mean, they're not stupid. You know, if he throws, if he throws a piece of apple to me and I don't go, Will he throw a second piece of apple to me to see if I go? Yeah. You know? So, yeah, they're, we say it all the time, but they're much better trainers of we are than we ever will be of them. So, for us, um, regardless of the species, but um, and you guys have heard me say it, but we, we are big when I'm kind of breaking behaviors down, behavior repertoire down into clumps of five. You know, so we, um, as a team years ago, we did this. But we do it in with other species um, at the zoo too. But so you know, it starts with what five behaviors do you need to get by in a day? You know, what all I want to know is what five behaviors so that we can take care of the animals, get them shifted, get them outside. So if I remember correctly, it was to come here, to to go on so you can shift them, get them away from you, to lean in, open their mouth, and to steady or to get around. Maybe it was get around. So those five things, we knew we could get them in, we could check them out, we can check their mouths, they could lean in so we can get blood, they could uh, stand there for a bath, uh, and they'd shift outside. And then once everybody on the team had those, had those five behaviors down, um, then we move on to the next group of five. So we broke down about 20 behaviors, so four groups of five, knowing that nobody does anything but these first five until they're trained and everybody's doing them the same way. And it did it, for us, it did a couple things. It, it brought it, because my team is awesome. They really are with, on so many levels, but they don't like to critique each other. They don't like to, to, to help each other for whatever reason um, and, te- and point out things that they could do better. They like to help them if it's something easy, but they don't like to help them if it's something that might be a little confrontational. Um, and this helped because, you know, for the people that have been there a long time, only, doing, only asking five behaviors, they're like, this is boring. So they started to help each other so they can get past that first five and move on to the next five. And, you know, we reach a point about 15 behaviors in where you kind of leave some of the newer keepers. Um, it isn't fair for, for them to kind of stick on that same pace um, with the others. So for us, it worked great. It helped the elephants really kind of solidify those real important five behaviors we needed to get by. It made sure that everybody had the same criteria for it. And um, 
when they asked it. And then it made sure that, uh, you know, we all had the same expectation. The elephants had the same expectation as well. So that's something we did and we've done it a couple of times uh, over the years and had a lot of success with it. And that doesn't mean that those are the behaviors that are important in general, but those are five behaviors that we needed to be to accomplish our day. I've been lucky enough to be involved in um, kind of starting one program from scratch and starting a new management system, another program um, from scratch. And you can sit there and decide which behaviors are the most important. And you can play the what if game all you want. What if this happens? We need to draw blood. What if this happens? We need to get them to swallow meds. Um, and it's difficult to really predict what it is. Um, life stages, you know, um, can play a part of it, you know, between a, a young, healthy elephant or a geriatric one or a young one. We might see some leaning towards some behaviors or the other. Um, for me, you know, we, there's a lot of times just focusing on um, the procedure. We want to get blood. We want to do this. But the emphasis has to be body positioning first. You, know, you can't really get blood without, like you said, that lean in or an ear present. Uh, and that behavior needs to be consistently solid. Um, we look at, at you know, what, what we prioritize medical needs, I guess, first. Um, discussion usually involves with the vets. And of course, what are some of the best diagnostic tools for the elephants? We've always prioritized um, blood taking as, as number one. Um, to try to get from the elephants. But of course, we need calm body positioning before we can start approximating and shaping that behavior. Um, after you know, blood draws, we throw in maybe muscle injections. Um, um, we have to take a look, you know, you know, younger elephants, it seems like the, you know, getting to swallow oral meds in a certain, in a certain age range is pretty high up there because our EHV scare. Some, um, some body inspections are important. So I guess we look into it, we really do um, medical procedures after we get to be able to move the elephants around. Um, simple as stationing and A to Bs or teach them to walk through a door and go where we ask for, of course is important. Um, having the elephants separate, for example, it could be um, important. We wanna be able to have one-on-one -on -one time with this elephant, with another, another elephant, not being in a way or we have to station another elephant away and all of a sudden that's so i like the idea of um you know kind of saying what we need to get through the day you know that's that's an interesting way um to see that and i think that's that's true you know to get the animals from point a to point b can't do anything unless we move them around um once you get that accomplished i think you also can do that at the same time you're laying some of those foundations that we talk about you know say Let's do the foundation before you do anything. A lot of those things can be done in conjunction with each other. We got to move elephants from A to B. Not only are we going to focus on moving the elephants from A to B, this is where we're going to pepper in our philosophies, such as calm behavior. It doesn't mean just standing in front of us. Calm behavior while you're moving. Calm behavior when we're doing anything with the elephants. A lot of times you can piggyback things. As much as we say, we are working on an A to B today, it is not just A to B we are working on A to B with calm behavior. We are working on A to B with um, patients, A to B with reinforcement strategies. So there's a lot of things that we can do, even though we're saying we're only doing one or two behaviors at a time, there's could be three or four facets that we're adding to the um, behavior as well as we're moving ahead with them. 
what's the first thing you generally train like babies or you know new new elephants like that you, that you get so like you know we always once they start taking food um you know well obviously contact and tactile stuff i guess would be the first thing um but we start doing like a to b's and mark and trunk and touching the target like kind of in that order those three things and throw kind of a lot of stuff at them at once but wondering what uh what you guys did for that so a couple of things to piggyback off the point earlier of like the baiting and the luring and stuff so i think part of that conversation as well is i call it begging you know so you'll hear people that are like you know susie move up susie move up susie move up and then they throw something and it's like, Susie, move up. And I call it baiting and begging. Um, and I tell my team all the time, like, we're, we're, let's not bait and beg guys, you know, let's, let's pay for what we want. Um, so I think that goes along with the point of, you know, the animals will train us, but we also have to just, you know, the ultimate goal is to ask for a behavior one time and then you get compliance and then you reinforce. Right. Um, <clears throat> and then as far as the babies go, you know, I, I, I stick to the same game plan. You know, I introduce the target, get them on, you know, once they eat solid, solid foods, there's a lot of tactile, you know, but like we say at PM, you know, there's so many things you can do before they start, start eating solid foods, you know, using water, using other elephants, using different things to start that training game and, and get them to learn how to do things. And so, but again, I stick to the same kind of game plan because I, once they're on solid foods and I can start introducing the target and things like that, I go, you know, I go for multiple behaviors at once with babies easily because they're, they're so they're like sponges. So they want to do many things at once and they soak up information so quickly. Um, it makes it pretty easy, honestly, but, uh, you know, I, again, it's introducing the target, introducing lean in while I'm doing lean in, I'm teaching them to open their mouth and take, take things uh, to the mouth and um, so you can check out their, their tongue and things like that. So multiple things at once, but again, I, I, I always go back to the basis of lean in, come here, you know, present your ear, open your mouth, just the very, very basic things that, that will save an animal's life. Basically, if I'm in a pickle and I need blood, I need to make sure that I put the pressure on myself to train that animal to do that. You know, if I need to be able to give it oral meds, you got to put pressure on yourself to train those behaviors and have a sense of urgency to do that. Cause if you, if you don't have that sense of urgency, you're going to look up six months from now and you're like, you're still training, you know, Susie to present her foot, but she's got that nail problem, you know? So again, I think part of training is having that sense of urgency and that, you know, desire and thirst to, to train that behavior two, three times a day, if you have a chance, you know, it's not, it's not possible for all of us in, in all of our programs, but to make sure that you get that session done at least once a day, I think it's crucial. Yeah. And one of the things that we've employed in the past too, is that even outside of the formal training and, you know, before they're taking solid food and before you've really nailed down what the sort of the training game is like, obviously we know that elephants, you know, can respond to routines. So even when they're little and, and, uh, and they're not really, you know, in a in necessarily a formal training session, we would start to do some training based on routine 
Um, and so we would use, you know, and you, we've all seen the babies playing around in tubs and things. So we would start a routine um, around, you know, uh, a bath routine, you know, and it started with a tub of water. And then we would slowly approximate where we wanted that, that session to take place eventually. And we would sort of use, you know, every day, you know, mom would get her routine. And then while she was eating her grain, we would do a little session with the with the baby and then slowly over time without the the animal really even knowing it we would utilize that routine and, and start to shape what that uh husbandry routine was going to look like you know and then and then over time you know if you could see you know if you could use a time-lapse camera or whatever you would see that the routine and the setup and the and some of the interaction with people and um and uh the normal husbandry routine of the day how the day worked actually started creating a husbandry routine for a, for a little elephant that actually didn't really know anything yet, but we started to break down um, and, and put structure to uh, the day and how it would look eventually. And that we found that to be helpful uh, over time um, because then one, once we layered in the solid food and the, and the formal training and all those kinds of things, it was easy because we had, we had, uh, you know, things that they could, that, that the little elephant could sort of um, rely on as far as timing and, you know, uh, spatial things within the stall or in the barn and things like that. So it, it became an easier transition. So that was something we did. It was actually a lot of fun because it was very free form, not very structured. And, and um, you know, the, the elephant was able to sort of dictate how, our cadence and how that factored into the bigger picture of training. But we found it to be pretty helpful over time. You mentioned bath. So, I mean, I think that's something I think the four of us obviously you know, think is pretty big in the foundation of the training of an elephant. So, you know, can we all, and maybe this isn't for the podcast, I don't know, but maybe it is. What's the importance of a bath? Why do you need to, to, to hose an elephant down? What, what, what's the significance of that? Well, it's funny because people often ask us just in a zoo setting, why, why we give elephants baths? And, you know, and I say it's a fourfold answer. <clears throat> Number one, you know, elephants require a certain amount of skin care you know, in, in when, you know, when they're under human care and that allows us to do that. So that's, that's number one through the bath routine. We're able to do a lot of that. Second thing is the bath routine allows us to look at every square inch of the elephant every single day. The third one is to clean them off. Obviously, you know, in certain situations they can have manure and things on them that we don't want, obviously. So that's the easy one. The fourth one is, in my opinion, it's the basis of the whole working relationship. So um, it's something that you can always anchor to. So even little elephants, you create that first set of behaviors and that first routine, and that can be the that can be the the foundation on which everything else is built. And it's a and it's a it's something that uh, that becomes a, a super solid foundation that they can then rely on later. So if you know if there's times of confusion or you know other things like that, they can always say, well, let's let's you know get back to basics, and the basics is that bath routine. The other thing is, I think it also sort of the fifth wild card is that it also tells you subtle things about the elephants that you know when you have an elephant that knows a routine and they can you know they know it better than some of the trainers that are doing it um how they perform that routine and the things they do or the or the subtle things that you might notice during something that's so you know um routine and, and rote you know if you those there's subtle behavior things that you can pick up just by running them through those paces um, every day, and it doesn't have to be exactly the same every day, but that the, you know that that conglomeration of, of or chain of behaviors to do those certain tasks, it's it's really informative. So for all those reasons, I think it's really important. 
Um, And by no means am I saying that you must do it the same way every day and you can never break it up and things like that. But for me, um, if you have something to rely on when the chips are down, you know, you can still, you know, if you have an elephant that's sick or you have an elephant that's off or something happens, you know, I think it's a, it's a nice thing to be able to, to, uh, in times of trouble, you can sort of latch on to that, that, you know, that solid foundation of something that's, you know, so, uh, so solid both for the trainer and the elephant that I think I find it to be really helpful. I agree. There's like, there's so many reasons why we give a bath other than just getting an elephant clean. Um, although that's a big deal because it's the only time of day we do see them clean. Um, and I agree with the, uh, uh, you know, the routine aspect of it. We just had this conversation in the barn the other day because uh, with, with the new baby, you know, it throws off. Sometimes the, the younger elephants are kind of, they get so excited either with the baby or the baby shifts out and they want to go out with the baby or do whatever, I mean, whatever the reason is, you know, uh, some sometimes they get a little wound up in the morning for bath. And, um, you know, as soon as we turn the hose on and start hosing them, they come flying over, lean in. And, and I think that, that, um, that routine really helped to kind of settle them down and, and get us going with things. Uh, it's great for new keepers too. Like, like, you said, you know, they, the elephants sometimes know the, the routine better than the keepers. But I, I, I think down the road, it would be very interesting to have somebody on that, um, that doesn't, I don't, I don't want to say I don't believe in the routine, but I don't know what, what they, what the word I'm looking for. But, you know, there's, there's definitely places out there that think variability, a more variability is, is really important. So, you know, I rely on the routine. I think our animals, rely on the routine. I think the animals rely on whatever system they're brought up in. Um, but I'd be really interested down the road to have somebody in on this podcast to talk about, you know, variability and training and, and how it works for them. Well, I think there's something to be said for all of those things. There's no question, but for me, um, you know, one in our industry, we obviously know that there's a certain, there's a, you know, a certain amount of turnover that happens. And, you know, it, unfortunately, it's, it's oftentimes more than we like, because it's, you know, it can be disruptive. Turnover can be disruptive to a program and things. But, but, you know, the routine part of it, I think, is a, is a confidence builder for, for, for the staff, you know, especially new staff as they train and learn elephants, whether or not they're experienced keepers or not, you know, it can help uh, with confidence both on both sides of the barrier. But also, like I said before, it's always nice to know that there's something you can rely on if something, if, if things go wacky or, you know, if there's an illness or something like that, you know, and I often say, you know, I, you know, variability is great, but you know, I don't know how I'd feel if every day I came home, if all my furniture was moved every day, you know, how I would deal with that. Or, you know, if I get up in the middle of the night and had to find my way to the bathroom and no one told me that they moved the, you know, coffee table or whatever. But um, so, I, I mean, I definitely see the value in all of it. And I, and I would hate to get, you know, I've seen um, examples where the routine is too strong and they can't get out of it. You know, the, neither the trainers nor the animals can can work outside of the routine. So I definitely think there's a there's a happy medium. But um, when you create that system and you create that that strong foundation and that routine, you can you can it allows you to drift away from it with the ability to go back. It doesn't mean you have to live there. So I I, I find value in it. And of course, I you know I'm always I always love to hear different you know opinions. But, uh, but, you know, it, it, that's what's worked for me over the years. But, you know, again, the big thing is, is don't get too wrapped up in it because that can, it can be limiting. Yeah, I think it's interesting. Um, the four of us, 
I think this is the first time we've actually, at least for me, taught you guys about a bath routine. My entire career, I never had a bath routine with any of the elephants I worked with. Um, the, I, the reasons why you guys say um, bath, I agree with 100%. Um, besides keeping the elephant clean, all those things about foundations and um, having um, a, um, a comfort level. I think you can achieve that same thing with a variety of a repertoire of behaviors that might not necessarily involve around the bath. I think it is important to have um, the trainers and the elephants that if things start going awry, that you can fall back to some basics. I think the bath is a really good example of that, but I don't necessarily say that it has to be focused around the bath. I know you're not saying it has to be, but um, that seems to be a common thing. And I always felt myself was kind of a little bit different in the programs I worked with is that um, our elephants didn't get bathed. Um, every morning the elephants got bath when they needed it they got a um, some kind of bath routine associated with it but it wasn't necessarily the foundation there's the training sessions and, uh, and the variety of repertoire behaviors that we have was with the foundation that we had so I agree with that it's the exact same purpose of it uh, my only two cents is that it's um, if, if, we, if somebody says I need to have a bath routine where I feel my program is subpar. I think you need the ability to care for the elephants and to, to bathe them and to take care of their skin, but say that it is necessary for that foundation. I think there's different ways you can do that. Yep. I agree with you. And, you know, and as I've said is, you know, those, that, that, those, those group of behaviors are all, um, you know, other components of just the general care of the elephants and the husbandry behaviors and medical behaviors and things like that. You know, uh, a lot of my career was spent in a program that awfully it had a really large staff of, of keepers. So the other thing that we strove, strive for in that program was um, consistency. So it, that also allowed us to help um, create a level of consistency with, you know, up to, you know, we had 13 elephants and, and, you know, 22 keepers at one point. So um, it, it helped with that. But again, you know, and also as, as keepers and elephants graduated through different levels of competency, we were able to branch things out and, and obviously assign different behaviors and different things to, uh, to the animals when it was appropriate. But again, it was just, it was a foundational thing for the program that allowed us to, to all, you know, kind of start and be able to, um, meet back at the same place and, and we found in a large program with a lot of elephants a lot of people we found that helpful yeah and i like about um to reiterate when you said something about we want to we talk about routine but routine doesn't mean it's exactly the same all the time i was involved in um a program that was to me that the extreme part where these elephants had a repertoire of behaviors and a chain of behaviors that were like three or four in a row. And if you tried to get to behavior number four, you could not ask for it unless you asked for one, two or three beforehand. Um, the premise behind that is that it was routine for the elephants. It was predictable for the elephants. They knew what was going to happen. And quite honestly, if you didn't even ask them for it, they would probably do those behaviors without you asking them anyway, because that's just what they do. And then at times that could be, um, if we rely too much on that, that can be limiting 
because sometimes you just want to do something with an elephant and you don't want to have to go through four behaviors or the whole routine before getting to that. So I do agree with you with saying that if it is too much routine and too much the same, you could be um, um, being almost efficient with your training time. So as far as the bath goes, I mean, I, I, I see a bath, whether you hose them off or not, or if you want to call it a training set, you know, whatever the, those programs do or what they call it, it's still the opportunity. I'm pro bath, obviously. I like to see a clean elephant as well. That's probably the favorite part of my day is bathing the elephant because of the relationship that you bond within that bath or that training set or whatever you want to call it. Um, I think that's the big key and, and, and set up very well. You get a limp, you get an animal that's a little stiff, you're going to see it in that in that routine. But again, whether we call it a bath or not, or a training set or whatever, I think that the reason that that is important is because it, it creates and kind of forces an opportunity for you to work with the elephant every day, you know, and, and it's that carved out time that you have. And it, each elephant is probably only getting 15, 20 minutes a day um, of your undivided attention um, that you can work on stuff and you can check them out and you can make sure they're healthy and all of that, whether there's water involved or not. I mean, that's up to the program. Right. Um, but, but I think that having that allocated time for an animal every day to get individualized care, I think is super important. And, um, and I think it's something everybody should do. And then as far as the routine stuff goes, I think it's great to create a routine that isn't routine. Right. So, you know, you may have, whether it be rotating where the animals are every day or, but I think it's great for the animals, but I also think it's great for the staff, you know, because um, rotate, you know, it, it, it makes people think outside the box. You know, if you do the same thing every single day, you know, not only do the elephants maybe get a little bit monotonous and, and they don't think, but the people do too, you know, and I've ran into that a lot recently where it's the same thing every day. And so nobody thinks, Nobody thinks about their job or what to check a gate, whether it's open or not, or, you know, different things like that, because they're so set in that routine. So I think the routine every day should be anything but routine, you know, and, and all outlined and, and specified, you know, these elephants were yesterday, but they're going to go here today. And, you know, we did this, this animal's training session over here today, but we're going to do it over there tomorrow. Um, and just trying to mix that up as well, because, the best thing we can do is teach our staff and our elephants to be resilient. We've talked about that before. So, um, you know, that's my thoughts on the routine thing as well. Yeah. I like that, that clarification. We talked about when we say routine, it's not necessarily mean the specific behaviors are routine for the elephant. It means all of a sudden we say routine. It doesn't necessarily mean um, that it's, the same behavior A, B, C, and D. And I like um, how you talked about, we call it a bath, um, and the only part of the water is help keep them clean. But really the bath routine, we can say getting them clean is part of it. But I really like how we can say, don't call, it does, might not be a bath, it might be a training set. But what is, is important is that quality time with the elephant, that is important. And um, yeah, thanks for, you know, clarifying that is that it is not the focus on the water there are some benefits to the water but it's that quality time we spend with the elephants is what we're investing in 
you know, the other question that came up was, do you guys believe in one trainer to train a new behavior till it's under stimulus control before you pass it on? And then the other thing, because I think they kind of go hand in hand. The other question was, do you think you can train too many new behaviors at once? And my perspective on it, first off, there's not a black and white answer for either of them. But what I will say is, you know, I've worked in situations where I've had such good relationships with the other, another trainer, uh, whether it's here or my previous place, that we were able to train the same behavior. I have two like kind of, I hate to even use the word primaries, but they say, hey, we're going to train, you know, we have our list of goals. We're going to train behavior one, two, one and two. Um, and I work on it. And if I'm off, the other person works on it. And I come back and it, like you don't skip a beat. Um, but a lot of that has to do with the relationship between the people uh, as much as it does the relationship with the animals. And also the animals, the animals are going to dictate how many new behaviors you can throw at them um, at once as well. Because I've, you know, we've had, we used to kind of have competitions, if you will, to see who can train the most new behaviors on other people's weekends or when they go on vacation, uh, especially with little ones because they're sponges, uh, just to see how many things we can throw at them and get, get on them before, um, before the next person comes back. When you first said that question is one trainer, multiple trainer, the first word that came to my mind is depends. And what does it depend on? Exactly what you said. It depends on the trainers. Not whether you're a good trainer or a poor trainer, how good of a communicator you are with the other um, team member. Um, you could get really two really good trainers that don't communicate, and it might take them longer to get a behavior accomplished as opposed to, to newish trainers or mediocre trainers that have really good communication. So yeah, I think it definitely isn't black and white. And I'd look at the situation is how well, you know, can you communicate? How well do those two people communicate? There'd be times where you might have, um, if you have eight people in your, in your program, not just any two people in that program may be effective at training together. It might have to be divided up. These two people work really well together and they can just do fine. You know, when you guys are talking about the babies and um, they're like little sponges and one day maybe I can have my own sponge, but I never had a sponge before. So it's interesting um, hearing that. Anyway, I, what I'm worried about is when I hear you guys say, it made me cringe. You say, we just do so much with the elephants. If you have a baby elephant in any given day, can anybody just jump in with that baby elephant and see what you can get? Or is it the same thing? They're little sponges and they can maybe take on multiple, but is it the same thing? It all depends on who's working with that baby. So, so I, I think that's a good point about, about the, the babies and being sponges. And, you know, my answer is no, we have, we have usually, two-ish people on the babies and and the reason for that is while they're sponges and pick up more um it's also i think they don't have the same solid foundation as the adults do so they can kind of they can kind of get led astray easier and get confused easier on things so um if there's consistency i think they pick up a lot and if you throw you get someone in that doesn't kind of talk the same languages as the other trainer i think there's they can get confused frustrated a lot easier than an adult that has been in the system for a while that can kind of play through the inconsistencies better. At least that's my experience with it. I don't know if you guys have something different, but that's why we yeah. have two people. 
Yeah, and I'm the same way. It's usually two people, especially in the beginning. Right. And, you know, then they hand it off to each other and then they hand it off to the team. Um, to your point, when I, I just – I don't think that it's not going to be like, hey, the whole team gets to train all these behaviors. I think, you know, these – the, those animals at that time in their life are pretty, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty crucial that you have somebody on them that kind of knows what they're doing, if that makes sense. So, you know, it's usually, yeah, a, a tag team. I know when you have somebody that you have synergy with in the barn as well, uh, with the communication and everything, you, you can fly through stuff, you know, and they teach one thing, you teach the other, and then you just go back and forth, back and forth. And then as you get to some of the lesser behaviors, yeah, you can, that, that are, don't need that uh, sense of urgency as much, then you can have other people doing it. Um, so I, I would, I think probably the most we've ever had people training, individuals training individual behaviors at once, I think is maybe only like three three or four, but it hasn't been many. It's not like the whole team, all eight people are, you know, training a new behavior with the baby. It's usually one, two tops. And then when you get into like kneels and, you know, some of those lesser behaviors, it's like, oh, can I teach the baby kneel? Yeah, go for it. And so, you know, I don't think it's even as much as that it's a lesser behavior. By the time you get a handful of behaviors down, they the babies at least understand the process so you can throw people on and they're a little more forgiving to to a different a different style or different communication uh at least that's what i've experienced you know it's not even that the behaviors are lesser um and then for us sometimes we have in the past at least is that on their annual review uh they have to train a new behavior so sometimes people are training you know there's multiple behaviors on different elephants for different people so, you know, it can get, it can get uh, they have to get creative at times to try to come up with things because we, we try to put a lot of stuff on these, on these guys. Yeah, I look at it from a few different standpoints. One is, uh, you know, I always say, you know, these, we, especially when it comes to young elephants, babies, you know, they're going to be around for a while. So um, we want to make sure we're, we're being responsible and doing it right, right? And we don't want to mess it up or, you know, cause ourselves to have further issues down the road, you know, especially because we do have these you know, some, some behaviors that are important that we want to get done um, in order to take care of these guys as best we can. But also, because of the, you know, the precious time that we're able to spend with them, and sometimes it's, a, it's not that much, um, I try to do it where, for as far as, uh, you know, assigning who's going to train new behaviors is, um, I, I really like to have operationally be able to do it seven days a week. So that's so one is I'll strategically try to put people on it that that cover the whole entire seven day work week so that we have more opportunities to do it. And then the third component is it's not just to me, it's not just the elephant training piece. We also try to do pair up people with um, sometimes differing uh, ex levels of experience so that they can learn what it's like, because, you know, now it's becoming easier. But man, I don't know how many years I was working with elephants before I ever looked at an elephant that no one that, that someone hadn't trained before I did. And I was just, you know, doing, you know, an elephant that, that knew that knew the game, knew a lot of behaviors and things like that. So the opportunity to train a, a brand new, you know, green sponge elephant is, is, was rare. So, um, so that, you know, that you want to expose people, you know, sort of responsibly to that and build up their, you know, skill set and uh, pair them with people that are more um, maybe more um, experienced so that they can get, you know, they, they can learn from that as well. So it's, you know, there's a lot of it. I certainly agree with everything you guys have said, but to me, there's also the whole other part of it 
the people part of it and the, the, the learning part of it, the training part of it, the experience part of it, that all plays into it too. You know, you mentioned about um, how many behaviors at once. Um, again, it depends on, on the elephant. I guess they'll tell us what is too much. You know, um, you know, we start seeing them defaulting to a behavior. Like, so I, I've done a training session before where um, during that same day, the morning somebody worked on a certain behavior, I'm shaping my behavior in the afternoon or maybe even later on in that session. And sometimes if it's not clear communication during the training session, um, the default to um, their most recent stuff they've been highly reinforced for. So if somebody's doing a training session, they spend 20 minutes working on this new behavior, someone else jumps in and says, hey, I'm gonna start training my behavior now because we're all fighting for training time. And then we start seeing confusing. Uh, we see an elephant defaulting um, to behavior they just did maybe 20 minutes ago. Do you think that's an indication that if there's too many new behaviors at once, or it could be more of an indication that um, it really doesn't matter how many new vacations, vacations, how many new behaviors are going on. It's the the fact that you're not communicating clearly, and they're losing focus on your behavior. That may be more the reason of why um, you're having problems, not because there's five other new behaviors they're working on. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's it's very dependent on the situation i think more times more often than not it's it's shitty communication than uh than anything else but you know i think there's definitely times where you know someone's training a new behavior and someone else is training something that might be similar and you see them start to offer that other behavior instead you know just kind of like a default you know the last thing they learn type of thing yeah I, again i'll go back to it what we said almost with every topic today is it's not black and white. It's so dependent on, on the animal. But I, I, I would, I almost 99% my answer to any confusion with training is poor communication on our end. Yeah. If, if the animal fails, it's our fault, right? If they sure. succeed, they get the credit, you know? So um, 100%, if, if the animal's offering the wrong behavior or whatever, it's because you're doing something wrong, not, not because they're doing something wrong. You got to look in the mirror all the time, you know? So like with many things, um, we default to the humans being more the weak link than the elephants. Is that, you know, as elephant managers, we want to set a program up. Hey, does your program allow multiple people to work on the same behavior? Or does your program allow, um, so-and-so's program allows that elephant having um, five new behaviors at once. Why can't our program be like that? Um, as elephant managers, I think the answers are, it's not black and white, but really we look to see what our team is um, capable of and what they succeed at will probably dictate more your training philosophy than, than the elephants themselves. Yeah, and it's all about consistency. If, if you have a team that's very consistent, you might be able to have two people training in the same behavior. But if it's not consistent and there's not communication and there's not the relationship and the synergy between those two people, you're going to fall flat on your face because I've seen it plenty. Uh, but if you do have that, then yeah, it's certainly possible. But that's up to you as the manager to figure out who works best together, who doesn't, who has that relationship, um, match them up as trainers. You know, you have also have to have people that kind of know what, in order to have two people train the same behavior, you, you have to have 
they have to have a good skill set because otherwise it's not going to work either. Thank you for once again listening to this edition of Packy Chat. Appreciate you taking the time to listen to us. Again, Packy Chat's all about just conversation. Take things you heard, uh, things that might work for you, and use them. That's great. Things you don't agree with, well, that's okay, too. We're not here to tell you there's one way to do it. We're just here to start conversation and have some thought. Once again, thanks a lot for listening to Packy Chat. We appreciate you listening. (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.